When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the McCovey Croncast, the San Francisco Giants podcast for SB Nation. I'm Brian Murphy, who writes about the Giants at McCoveyChronicles.com. I'm Doug Brizzoni. I write about the Giants at GiantsDoug.substack.com. Doug, welcome to 2023. How's it gone for you so far? Fantastic. The, the football team I watch is doing great. I haven't been fired from any jobs. Uh, <laughs> I just, I can't think of anything that's gone wrong. <laughs> So swimmingly then. Fantastic. Swimmingly. Yeah. <laughs> so we are recording this at the end of January and uh, you're, you are receiving this on Monday, January 30th. And uh, it's been a busy offseason for the Giants. When last we potted, the big news was that they signed Carlos Correa and then unsigned him. And I think we we let off some steam. I think it'd be fair to say. Yes, we were we were frustrated <laughs> by some of the events that had transpired. <laughs> and of course, we were doing what every diligent sports blogger and podcaster does, and that was firing off half cocked with not all the information. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. It was, a, it was a great time for everyone. So we're going to talk about Carlos Correa much later. So if you're tired of hearing about Carlos Correa, great. You don't have to deal with it up front. More importantly, what we're going to do is we're going to take all of our years of watching the Giants, writing about the Giants, divining the Giants' uh, behavior. We're going to just try to put it all together in sort of a off-season wrap-up because whatever they do from here until spring training starts, these are all it would all be like supplemental depth moves. So let's just talk about ask the big question: Did the Giants have a successful off-season? Um, I, I, I guess we could go you first, Doug, then me, but I mean, let's just start with the, the main idea. I can just, I can just answer this. Did the Giants have a successful off season? Um, just unequivocally, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. Um, they got better. They, they probably didn't get better by enough. So in that sense, it's, it's kind of a no, but at the same time, you know, they're in a better position they were in. they, if they feel that Carlos Correa, sorry, sorry, we're going to talk about him later. If they feel <laughs> that one of their big targets would not have been worth the contract they would have had to give him, then, you know, it is what it is. Um, but one of the things that Alex Pavlovich tweeted at the beginning of the offseason was it needs to be a big one. And it wasn't. You know, they, they got some players who could be good players for them, but they, they also could be injury risks. And so it's tough to say, yeah, they really remade the team. They really made it a lot better. It's also tough to say they needed to make it a lot better. Maybe with the rest, maybe the, the guys who were around in 2021 will be, will, will come back to their 2021 forum or something approaching it instead of their 2022 forum. It's tough to know. It's kind of how fair are you wanting to be towards the team? How generous are you willing to be? Because you can say, well, the moves they did actually make, you can then judge 
the that alone on its success or failure, what you think of them. And we can certainly go through what those moves did. As Doug said, they really shore up the team in a lot of ways, particularly, I would say primarily when it comes to the rotation. But I would also then say they were pretty clear, I thought, unambiguously so, about what their prime target was. And it was to land a big fish. So if it and obviously I don't think even in that case, that was the only move. And maybe we can get into this a little bit more. Was it get a big fish? I wrote about this the other day. Was it get a big fish or do what they wound up doing? Or was it get a big fish and some of these moves? I think that's an interesting part. We'll never maybe know the answer to or you might not know for for the time being. What if that was the case? It, it, does any of that make sense? Um, d- does would that wind up being a successful offseason? To me, it's kind of what you said, but it's also like it. It feels like not that they're missing a centerpiece. It's it's essentially they went they went about saying we're we're going to make an amazing tasting banana split, and it definitely at the end of the day feels like what they have is pretty close, but they're missing one of the three scoops of ice cream is sort of my takeaway from the off season. They've got their vanilla, they've, and then I don't know, chocolate or strawberry, take your pick. One of these other ingredients, the whipped cream, the almond shavings or sprinkles or chocolate syrup, the banana could be a little undersized, but one of those other ingredients on top of them missing a scoop is not quite as premium as the rest. So maybe the, the whipped cream is the store brand of the whipped cream spray. You know what I mean? Or, you know, it's a little too, the chocolate is is just Hershey sh- syrup that you would get, which is fine. But, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is they didn't land a big fish and they let Carlos Rodon walk. Did they replace him? And right. it, doesn't mean, yeah. se- it, it doesn't seem like they set out to really replace him. We kept hearing that they were in on him all offseason, but it never really felt like a real thing. And certainly I would say just the deal they extended him was sort of set up so that they could just let him go if he had a great season. Um, and so in which case, how do you replace a six win pitcher? Well, you don't. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of built into a pitcher being that good is you don't replace him. And does Ross Stripling plus Sean Mania plus Anthony DiSclefani plus Kyle Harrison equal losing him. And no, I don't think so, but also at the same time, having all of them without Carlos Rodon, plus Jacob Junis, plus Alex Wood, um, and plus uh, Alex Cobb, that's better than what they had last year. So they did improve. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like if you remember, I don't remember if it was in the movie Moneyball, but in the book Moneyball, you know, they lost Jason Giambi and Billy Bean says, well, what's our problem? The pro-, like, well, the problem is we lost Giambi. We have to replace him. He said, no, we can't replace him with one guy. He's too good. We replace him in the aggregate. We get enough guys to fill in holes, not only at first base, but also elsewhere that we sort of overall get the, get that same level of production without paying a lot of money. And so they got Scott Hatterberg and whoever else and whoever else. Um, and that's what the Giants are trying to do just with pitching where, you know, yeah, they're, they're not going to replace Carlos Rodon. And I think it, it is fair, by the way, to say Carlos Rodon next year won't necessarily be as good as he was last year. Correct. Um, he's, you know, he could decline, you know, even if he declines to a four win player, I mean, that's still 
already going to be trouble. And that's without even taking into account injuries. Because last year was one of, I think, two injury-free seasons he's had in his career. And so you, you can't just assume that he's going to be that good again. So it's not necessarily criticizing the Giants to, to say they didn't sign him. Maybe they were right to not sign him. We'll find out. Um, but it's tough. It's, it's a tough situation for them. And they, what they thought that they could do was replace his production in the aggregate by having Mania and Stripling and also maybe Kyle Harrison coming up and hopefully not having DeSclafani be so bad. So, you know, it's not just that Radon was a six-win pitcher and DeSclafani was a negative one-win pitcher in his four starts or whatever. It's that, and then that there's five wins, right? Well, if you can get those five wins from those two spots in the rotation, you've replaced the production um, even if you don't have the flashy star. And you can do other things such as improve the defense and, you know what I mean, and improve the offense so that your pitching, it, even if it doesn't wind up even matching last year, which I think the entire pitching staff from Fangraphs basically was 20 wins uh, above replacement. I think I remember that when I was doing research on an article. So, you know, if that's your, let's say that's your floor that you're trying to meet, you know, there's other ways to get there in addition to stockpiling depth. You could just make the rest of your team better, too. Um, and then that, that brings us to the other side of this coin. You don't get Aaron Judge. You don't get the guy we're not talking about right now. And you get instead, as Doug pointed out, injury flags guy in Ma- uh, Mitch Haniger and Michael Conforto. Does that make it okay? And I mean, that really is who they were. Um, uh, that's basically, they weren't trying to replace either of the two big fish with Mitch Haniger. It sounds like Mitch Haniger was always part of the plan. So Judge and Haniger, and plus I wonder what other moves they would have made. That would have been a great offseason, right? If it had been Aaron Judge, Mitch Haniger, and Taylor Rogers, and and Ross Tripling and Sean Benaya. We'd probably look at that and we'd go, oh, that's that's really solid. Now you look at it and you go, how many games are you going to get out of Michael Conforto? How many games are you going to get out of Mitch Haniger? And you've kind of said it so that you need them to play 120 games each at least. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's one of, so one of the questions you came in as asking was what would the offseason have looked like if they had signed one of the big fish? And I think the answer is they don't get Conforto. Um, Conforto is the injury risk who they were like, well, now we have to take a shot. Right. Cause like the, the other big name free agents, or guys who you're whatever questions you have about them, they, there's a really good chance they're going to be good next year. And so you don't have to worry about it too much. Well, the Giants don't have that now coming in from the outside. You know, yeah, maybe Casey Schmidt hits, comes up in, in you know, May and hits 30 homers. But the, for now, they can't assume that. So they look at what's our best shot to have a player who has great production. That is, you have to take a chance. And you have to take that chance on Michael Conforto because he's the one who has um, – the best talent if it's still in there. I mean, there's, you know, he didn't play last year. Um, he wasn't the same player in 2021 that he had been um, the, the three or four previous years. So if those three or four, you know, 2017 through 2020 Conforto are still in there, then they got not quite, you know, superstar production, but still great production. Can't complain about it. And that's, that's their best chance. They're thinking, you know, if you just think about like probabilities, how we're going to get this offense and you take a shot at getting it, it, it works or it doesn't. 
you know, at that point it was going to be Conforto or bust and it might be Conforto and bust, you know, we'll find out. Um, so that's sort of what they were thinking. I think they, they, they probably don't get Conforto if they get judge. I think that's definitely true. But do you think once they didn't get judged, then Conforto became the other guy on top of um, Carlos Correa? Because as far as we know, I mean, they they offered Aaron Judge more money. So they just actually offered Carlos Correa less money. And um, and so that would kind of give you see how they could squeeze in Conforto on top of of Correa on top of that. Um, I don't know. I just I wonder. But you're right. There, some mix of this. I think this is going to look largely the same plus one of the two of the other guys. So let's get to the other part of this. Cause I don't think we've quite answered. Have they had a successful off season until we answer maybe these next two questions. So you wrote about this, this past week, go check out the article. It's really great. And I think you really just kind of left it more of asking the question, but did they improve their defense? Do they get younger and more athletic? That was the goal going in. That's what Farhan stated a couple, he said in August and then again in October, they were going to try to do that this year um to an extent they did but those were kind of some of that was in-season moves right like darren ruff was a terrible defender and they traded him in season um then there was you know brandon belt who did not grade out very well on fan graphs def- defense this year you know he's not sticking around either um so i mean in that sense could the defense be addition by subtraction sure i guess but and shoving Jock Peterson guys, over into yeah. DH instead of playing him in the field. Yeah, but I mean, that's the problem, right? Is Jock Peterson really going to be a DH that much time with Hanniger? And then you have J.D. Davis. And then you have Michael Conforto, who was a decent to good corner outfielder two years ago before he got hurt. But who knows what he's going to bring now? Um and so it's one of those things that you look at that, you're like, man, there are, there are a lot of ways, there are a lot more ways for this defense to be bad than there are for it to be good. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect encapsulation. That's absolutely correct. One thing that we haven't said in any of this, and I can't say that it's a 0% chance, I'm the pessimist when it comes to player development, only because, I mean, I'm just going off of track record at this point. But everything we're saying does kind of, Am I am I misinterpreting you? We're all sort of presupposing that once again they're not going to get any help from the farm system, or it's very unlikely that they will because everything you're saying has a chance of being correct, and that would be dire for the team. But if Elliot Ramos, you know Casey Schmidt, I mean not Von Brown or Marco Luciano, but you know what I mean, like if something happened, Isan Diaz, you know what I mean, like if something happened <laughs> where that wasn't in their obvious immediate plan that could actually be a positive, then that would not necessarily mean that losing Conforto or Hanniger means it's going to be a catastrophe. Yeah, that's absolutely on the table, that they could get help from their farm system. It's just historically they have not. Um, and I think and, even you know, the team well, can't. Yeah. yeah, I think even the team's not yeah. factoring that in. I don't know if they're not factoring it. I think they're, you know, they're going to hope. But, um, you know, Ramos was awful last year. He was awful in AAA. Yep. He was pretty. He was really bad in the majors. His he wasn't in the majors for that many games, but the the very short time that he was there, his defense graded out very badly too. So I mean, the Giants can't look at him and expect a, a contribution. They're, they might get one. They would be happy to. They will find a way to put him on the team. Um, say what say what you will about the current iteration of the Giants. They find ways to get to get guys 
who are tearing it up in AAA onto the team, which was not necessarily, and starting regularly, not necessarily the case under Sabian and Evans. But, you know, you can't necessarily just say, well, we got to account for Elliot Ramos. At this point, you don't, because he hasn't shown that you, that you do have to do that. Casey Schmidt might very well might, might show up and have a, a great season. Um, but you can't count on it. He hasn't been to, he, oh, he wasn't, he was in Sacramento very briefly. That's right. But, you know, he hasn't proved it at that level yet. Um, he spent most of the season last year in high A spent a little time in Richmond and then just 16 plate appearances in Sacramento. So, I mean, he might be there next year. It's a hundred percent possible. But the, the team can't go in and assume anything with him. All right. So then that leads me to kind of, I mean, it's not really a full question that gets to, did the giants have a successful off season, but I want to ask it to set up, kind of an Otani question or like part of this, because I kind of think that this off season might have some carryover the next off season, but I want to ask, is there a team policy uh, for, for not handing out long-term deals? Did the Cueto some margin moves so scar ownership that they just said, Nope, doesn't matter. No more. Um, no. Okay. I think, um, I think especially when it comes to pitchers, the risk aversion on deals is a far on thing. Because if you'll remember, the Dodgers, when he was there, did not give out long-term deals to pitchers. That's why Kershaw kept having to sign like three-year, $90 million deals. Because yep. they weren't going to give him that seven-year deal. Um, I think Farhan has brought that with him um, everywhere he's gone. I think he probably has a spreadsheet that says it's a bad idea. And the spreadsheet might well be right. Would they have gone to five years on Radon? They might have. I think uh, they might have, too. I think so, too. Yeah. But I'm sure I'm sure they were much more comfortable in the, you know, four one fifty, four one thirty five area for him, and that just didn't work out. I guess what I'm asking is because you know, they did show the Giants do take risks. They took a big risk offering Aaron Judge the most money, and then Judge was able to get that deal from another team as well. But you know, the same models that show you long term deals to pitchers are bad. There's statistical evidence that players of his size do not age well either, Aaron Judge's size. So they took a risk. Nine years, 360, that's a lot. Correa, forget the medical. They offered him 13 years. Offering a baseball player a 13-year deal is saying, we're willing to take some form of risk. So you can't automatically say the Giants are totally risk-averse. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you're right, there's a spreadsheet. We may not never know, because that kind of leads me into this idea of like, well, are they even going to be in on Shohei Otani? Because if you're going to offer him 400 or $500 million, that's based on what he provides you on both sides of the ball. But you're only offering him 400 or 500 million if you're signing him for like 10 years. And so I don't, you know what I mean? Like I'm sorry, my brain is starting to break in terms of like, what's, what's the calculus here? You know, does that mean that the Giants had a successful off season? How does that help answer the question? I guess I think what I learned about them was that they they did reveal that they do that there are places they're willing to go that I didn't think they would go to. With 13 years with Korea, I never saw that coming. Like I never would have thought they would have gone that far with him. I think the judge deal definitely represents sort of a ceiling to that. Um, and I think that was a lot more like the first two or three years of that deal is going to pay for the rest of it. And I could see like with judge, you can see that very clearly. And so I guess, did they have a successful offseason? 
based on their public statements as the offseason commenced and then based on the results, I think you'd have to say no. Like, I think we can firmly answer the question. What they expected to happen is not what wound up happening. Now, did they have a successful offseason by because they can't control everything and things didn't break their way? I would say kind of yes. That would be a yes. Do they have a successful offseason that tells you the Giants are sort of entering a new phase, though? Like a positive phase, not like the Queen of England phase of dying. Um, and I would say no. I think that they did not dispel any notions or um, chatter or you know belief that they they whiff when it comes to landing these big fish. I I think they're kind of. I'll be generous and say back at square one, but I I think everyone's kind of caught on the idea of oh if they offer someone the most money they'll get the player. And I think that's mostly true, but I think that they're just as likely to offer. I think the Aaron Judge situation is much more likely to repeat itself in the near term than this complete fluke about Carlos Correa with the medical. And so I would say on the whole, they did not have a successful offseason. I think reputationally, the hit was kind of too big. All the on-paper plan B moves that they made, great. I can see exactly why they made them. They all make sense. The upside is pretty great. That's, you know, there's potentially a 90, 90 plus win team here. Uh, the downside I think is also great because I don't think that they're going to be a 500. I don't think they're going to be a losing team next year. Something pretty bad is going to have to go wrong for that to happen. And I just don't think they're built that way. So a step by establishing just a, a high floor is positive. And they were able to spend their money to do that. But on the whole, I think the reputation and the fact that they're missing the own piece of their design is why it's not ultimately not a successful offseason. I mean, yeah, I think that's fair. I think another thing that I've kind of started thinking this offseason is Hanager and Conforto aren't both going to be good all year. There's basically no chance that happens just with their injury history. Like, I, I don't see it. So if you look at it like they probably added one good player, well, okay, is that enough? I mean, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> um, or one good offensive player, you know. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, did they have a successful offseason? I mean, they didn't have a bad offseason, I guess, but they didn't fair, do everything fair. they needed to. No. Yeah. I like your point about they prob- between the two of them, probably one good player. And I... I don't know. That doesn't completely discount. There's probably like what in your mind? I'm guessing two percent chance that maybe both of them produce for throughout the season, but you're not really thinking yeah, that, exactly. right? Okay, yeah. But I even mean, if they were, that's yeah, not the most likely thing. Yeah. Right, but in my mind, even if I think they'll both make it through the season, I'm still thinking like, but still, we're talking about like two win players each. Which then goes to your point. That's one good player, four wins. <laughs> but then I think about the rest of the the offense. I don't know. I'm kind of ex- I'm looking forward to seeing more David VR. He, he I kind of feel like he's the forgotten. He's the middle child of this whole discussion of player development. You know, you've got Elliot Ramos on one end and Casey Smith Schmidt on the and uh, Kyle Harrison on the other end. But then David VR is kind of the guy. It's like, well, maybe. Maybe the player development system has is starting to produce and it's already here kind of with one guy, but that's something that's more than they had before. I guess we'll find out and I, it'll be fun when this podcast, when I go back and listen to this 
to see if this was true. And we'll find out. Um, let's talk about Ends of Eras. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ready for that talk, Doug? Yeah, <laughs> do it. So another thing that happened this offseason was um, the end of the Brian Sabian era in the cleanest possible break. He left the organization. You know, after the Giants signed Farhan Zaidi, uh, Brian Sabian was basically already an advisor to ownership. He had transitioned away from being the general manager. So Bobby Evans could take over. That was a disaster. They created the president of baseball operations position, gave it to Farhan Zaidi, and Sabian stayed on in this advisory capacity, which we since learned that he wasn't really utilized at all. And so Brian Sabian, after his contract ended, has taken a job with the Yankees to be an advisor to Brian Cashman, help with the draft, that kind of thing. So Brian Sabian literally leaving is the end of the era, but we also have a couple of other things. We are closing the door finally on the Brandon Belt chapter of Giants baseball. He signed with the Toronto Blue Jays after not being able to come to some sort of deal with the Giants. Uh, one year, $9.3 million, which basically the Blue Jays see him as what? A one and a half win player? That sounds about right. Um, and then Jeff Kent finally losing his Hall of Fame eligibility through the writers, the baseball writers, in his 10th year of um, eligibility on the ballot, did not receive enough votes to make it into the Hall of Fame. So he'll have to get on through the Veterans Committee or whatever they're calling that committee now later on. And who knows if that will happen. But the guy who's played, um, who played like the 10th most number of games at second base in baseball history was told he's not a good defender. And the guy who hit the most home runs of any second baseman in, in, in uh, baseball history was told he was not a good enough hitter to make it into the Hall of Fame. So there we are. <laughs> But uh, the Sabian thing, were you surprised by any of the news? Uh, Brian Sabian's comments when he was hired, he just press conference with the Yankees. He's like, yeah, the Giants, they didn't have any use for me, is basically what he was saying. I mean, it's it's a little surprising because I, I was like, I thought that was the point. Like, I thought, I thought that you could just like have this advisor role and you'd occasionally talk to Farhan. They'd pay you and you could just sort of half retire while still not being technically retired. Like I, I thought that's what you were trying to do. Um, you know, Ned Coletti I hung on in, in LA for like five years or something when they were completely ignoring him. So I, you know, I, I don't know how any of that works, but um, yeah, I was like, Oh, okay. I guess he's, he still has some of that ambition to like contribute and, and sort of, he still has that fire, which, you know, I, when I read it, thought about it a little bit, it makes sense. Right. Brian Sabian, for whatever faults he had, like he's one of those like fiery new England guys who's going to always, he always wants to win and prove himself and everything. Um, and that, that does seem like him. So that, that makes sense. It's just, you know, when someone is like, all right, I've, I've had the important job long enough. I'm done. In my mind, I'm like, okay, so like, you're done. You're not, you're not going to do stuff anymore, but that was not what he had in mind. No, I, I, wasn't surprised by his comments and like when it was revealed, it wasn't a shock to me that, Oh, Farnsidey didn't utilize him. Um, I didn't 
come to that same conclusion that you did because it's like, oh, it's Brian Sabian. So that you he has to like be pulled away to stop doing this baseball stuff. That's always seemed clear to me. Exactly right. Very passionate, super intense guy. Um, there's probably other reasons why this Yankees job became appealing to him. I think there's some family health issues maybe, but also just being closer to his family on the East coast. It all made sense. Um, like his actual extended family, I think, right. His, his, his immediate family had always been out in the Bay area with him, but also the fact that he just took the time to make these comments, which could only be taken as sort of a, a knock against the giants. I mean, yeah, that indicated to me still a passionate guy. What it reminded me of was, you know, we, grew up quote unquote on Moneyball, and far anxiety did too and so to me there was like there's a part of it where it's like of course they would have no use for him he represents all the things that they snickered um about when they would talk about baseball like his cohort his generation of base and i'm talking about far anxiety that 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 generation of baseball exec they are derisive towards the sabian dinosaurs so to me, it kind of even if he has res- he has respect for his accomplishments, I think it'd be tough. You know, it's essentially like all that time that you've spent making fun of the principal, and then like you have to work with the principal. Essentially, you know, you're there's going to be a point where you're like, this is just we're both running out the clock here, right? And I don't know. I mean, if it's not like Farnsidey just brushed aside everything Sabian set up because there's a pretty famous article on the Athletic. Society came in, right, where he's like, why are you guys so good with minor league free agents? And basically kept all the the execs that were, you know, the number crunchers, essentially, that helped the Giants maintain a competitive advantage. So it's not like he just said, I don't want any ties to this era. But at the same time, it's like there's probably some generational gap between the two of them. It makes sense. Brian Sabian being crabby about it. Perfectly Brian Sabian. You know what? You know, that comment made me feel it made me feel young again because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, he's still got it. He's still got that pissiness in him. Fantastic. Yeah. He always had it. Every time he like did an interview on KNBR, he would always get pissy about something. Oh, it's great. Yep. Um, and and I, I, like, I like your Moneyball point, by the way, because uh, if you remember Moneyball, there is a part in it where Billy Bean actually like gets one over on Sabian because uh, they both want to trade for Ricardo Rincon. But then like. Bean finagles things to to like with one of his relievers so that the Giants are like a little more hesitant and that other teams don't necessarily want. And then like he gets Rincon. And so that's one of the, the things that happens like halfway through Moneyball, which is Billy Bean making like get getting Bill, Brian Sabian, like beating him, making sure the Giants can't get their guy. So I just can't through human nature think that someone who is not through formative years, but you know, you know, Zaidi's entire professional experience up until being hired by the giants was sort of look at Sabian as a joke. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just hard for me to think like there was going to be much of a relationship between them, but you know, I think he's a better person than I'm giving him credit for. I'm just saying it, it seems like it'd be impossible for that stuff to not color that relationship in some way, but Whatever, for whatever reason, Brian Sabian's gone. That chapter of Giants baseball, I think, is now really dead and buried. Brandon Belt finally being let go, <laughs> right? Finally moving on is sort of the next phase of that. Brian's, uh, Brandon Belt being sort of the the most Billy Bean player that Brian Sabian developed. 
seems fair to say. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But Brandon Belt, I, I guess we could spend, I could spend 30 minutes easily talking about Brandon Belt, but we're not going to do that. Brandon Belt, great giant, a lot of fun, injured too much. It, it, made, it makes perfect sense on paper. It, it's a bummer it couldn't be worked out, but I definitely feel like it was time to move on. I think, um, you know, I like Brandon Belt um, as, as all stat people who were around 10 years ago do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't really fit what the Giants are, need to do this year, which is to move on towards their future. Um, and I think it's pretty clear he's not going to be part of that future. And so you say, you say, a, you wave a respectful goodbye. And you, you wish the best for him in Toronto. I hope he hits 40 home runs. I really legitimately hope he has a great season. You know, the Giants need a guy that who, who they can't option. They need a player that's going to probably play at least 120, 130 games. And I don't think even the most ardent belt fans, and I count myself among those, could feel good about that. You know what I mean? Like, there's just no reasonable basis for thinking he's going to play a full season pretty healthy. It could happen. But if you're trying to, you know, minimize the risk of losing a lot of playing time on the 40-man roster that you can't afford, you know, that it's going to be hard to replace anyway. You know, even with the replacement level player, it just made a lot of sense. Um, Farewell, Brandon Belt. It's pretty amazing that his last great Giants moment was as being the captain on on uh, home opening day. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that was fun. The other part of the Sabian era that's ended again, I already mentioned, Jeff Kent not getting in the Hall of Fame. And listen, I think I kind of fired off a post about, you know, it's all tied to the PED era and all this other stuff. And look, Jeff Kent is an asshole. And uh, his beliefs, is uh, his lie about how he hurt himself washing his truck, you know, he... You know, Barry Bonds is not fighting him in the dugout just because Barry Bonds is an asshole. It's not like it's a one-way street in that situation. <laughs> uh, so I get it. There, He played for the Dodgers. You know, like there's a lot of negatives for Jeff Kent. I get all that. I'm just saying at the end of the day, there was a time, and I think it was his MVP season, where I consider Jeff Kent my favorite giant. I think I just... Liked him hustling and hitting the ball hard and getting dirty. And you could tell even as he was playing, you, he was not the most gifted athlete, but he very frequently was in the right position. He played like he never you never saw him taking a play off. He was diving really hard. He was super intense. I think in that way, he was a really great compliment to Bonds, who did the, sort of the same thing as well. And uh, but at the same time, you know, objectively, at the end of the day, he is a Hall of Fame second baseman. And we are in this bullshit zone of of assholes, you know, this, the entire silent voting block of baseball writers who just don't disclose their vote and either vote for one or nobody um, and are, don't even cover the sport anymore. And it's just a bunch of like retired guys, old guys being assholes to people who are assholes. So it's kind of hard to get too upset. But at the same time, between Belt and uh, Jeff Kent and Sabian actually leaving, we're we're done with the, that era of Giants baseball, for sure. Do you have any Jeff Kent thoughts, Doug? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I remember watching him. I uh, He was he was a great player for the Giants. I remember him, uh, he had like 120 RBIs in 1997. And, you know, back in 1997, when you weren't not allowed to be impressed by RBIs, that was incredibly impressive. 
it's it's so funny to look at that now contextually 121 rbis 29 home runs and 155 games ops plus 105 <laughs> it's yeah it's because his on base percentage was low that year it was like it was three it was 316 yeah 316 yeah i mean his on base percentage was great the rest of the time he was the giants just that one year he, he wasn't quite there but he had all those rbis and you're like all right this is the guy he's gonna get them in Interesting pivot point, 92 to 97. He had an on-base percentage of 324 and an OPS plus of 106. And now, thank God I love baseball reference, from 98 to the end of his career, he was a 131 OPS plus with a 370 on-base percentage. (laughs) 98, that was uh, the McGuire-Sosa thing. And yet somehow, somehow the juice balls and everyone being juiced, Jeff Kent gets tagged with oh his proximity to juicing means he juiced and uh we can't trust any of his numbers i didn't think that was the the issue with him at all i thought it was he was good but not good enough to overcome his bad defense that's what i've heard about him so tom verducci who i would say is pretty staunchly you know anti-ped and it is pretty much a good mouthpiece for the boomer people (laughs) ruining baseball and the voting block you know, he screamed about like he, Jeff Kent played 2000 more games starting at second base. Uh, only 10 players. Oh, sorry. Only 10 players in baseball history started more games at second base than Jeff Kent. Folks, they don't give away jobs at second base. If you are not a good defender, you do not stay at second base. <laughs> <laughs> but again, because the voters suck, they don't think about it. They just vaguely remember something they remember someone telling them or one time they saw him dive and miss a ball and that's it. And um, it's just, it's whatever, but all right. End of Brian Sabian chapter, which you know what kind of the encapsulation, the reason why I'm pointing it out, I think for a lot of us, this is, this is our formative era of giants baseball. I mean, Will Clark, Kevin Mitchell, that really was for me the first real signs of that, to be honest, but the giants really kind of, you know, moving into into Oracle Park, then um, Pacific Bell Park, and all that stuff. I think that transition point was actually Giants really ascending a level. They weren't just the Giants; they were starting to escalate into crown jewel status, right? As the Yankees and Red Sox or whatever. And now the Giants were coming up, and they had Bonds and the home run chase and all that stuff. So it was a it was a big deal. Brian Sabian, Brandon Belt, Jeff Kent. Uh, very responsible for the last 25 years of success, 30 years of success in Giants baseball. Farewell. Goodbye. We'll miss you. Except not, we won't really miss you, Jeff Kent, because you're an asshole. No, no, yeah. So this is mea culpa corner, which <laughs> we didn't oh, do very much of. So now we're going to talk about Carlos Correa, but I've only slotted three to five minutes here. So let's, uh, I'm going to just throw myself out here first. I was wrong about why the Giants did not sign Carlos Correa. I just would like to, it had nothing to do with the ownership. I just would like to point out that on that podcast, I also said, but I can't let go a part of me thinking that the front office still might've had a lot more to do with this than we think. And wouldn't you know it, that wound up being exactly the case. So (laughs) I just want to point out that I was mostly wrong and I certainly have egg on my face, but not both eyes. So it's like running down one side of my face. Anyway, Doug, how do you feel? Oh, I, I now, was wrong. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I had a post that I was always planning on writing because especially in the off season, 
if you have an idea, you got to go for it. There's not a lot to do in the off season um, mm-hmm. about the things I got right and wrong during the season. And I did end up writing that. Uh, I did not know when I had the idea that I would have a section at the end, all about Carlos Correa. Uh, <laughs> Cause I came up with the idea before any of that happened. It's, it's unfortunate on a lot of levels uh, what happened with Correa, but also it's a good sign for us to remember that um, we don't have all the information that the giants have. And sometimes it might be a good idea to wait for a few days but to find out what's going to happen and perhaps why uh, why things happen the way they did. I'll also say I have, um, I have a friend on Twitter who like in the Twitter circle or whatever, you know, so only a few people could see it was like, yeah, I'm not sure that we, we should 100% be blaming the Giants about th- for all of this. And I'm like looking at that like, I know your parents are season ticket holders, like in a nice part. I'm like, do they know someone who knows something? Do they, you know, there, there are still, so, I mean, that's, that's possible. I will say there are still a lot of things the Giants did wrong. Um, you know, the way they alienated Brandon Crawford over this was still bad. Uh, and they shouldn't have done that. The, and, you know, they pinned their, they pinned their whole offseason strategy and their whole, like, fan engagement strategy on signing Carlos Correa or Aaron Judge, and then it looked like they had Carlos Correa and they didn't. Well, I mean, that's a consequence of what they did. Um, so the sort of the disappointment and anger does come from them uh, in that way. Uh, it's just that about Carlos Correa, they were correct. And in so, terms of like, are the not. Giants totally, yeah. And I, I do need to put it somewhere out where people are listening. I am not one of those people that thinks that because, you know, the giant, the giants were vindicated, you know what I mean? Or like so that someone else agreed with them that suddenly they were completely right. And they didn't do anything. Like it justifies all their actions. Being right is not the most important thing all the time. And I, but I, I respect because these people control a lot of our lives that a lot of people have this position that if you're right, you can do whatever you want, no matter Feelings are hurt, money it costs, reputation hits, if people die, it doesn't matter. Like being right is all that matters because I don't know, it seems like a very libertarian way of thinking. Like it's an individualistic, I'm right. So sorry that bothers you, but you know, so were the Giants right? Sure. They were right that they committing 13 years to this player with iffy health, it's not going to work out. Um, All the reasons Doug said, does that still mean that they were right in how they handled it? I think some people think the ends justify the means. As long as you don't have to commit to that, it, you know, you got to break a few eggs, I guess, to make, this isn't a cake they're making though. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) and it was that Brandon Crawford point that you mentioned that I think was sticking in the back of my mind where I couldn't let go, couldn't let go that the front office had something to do with killing the deal. And that's because if they were willing to handle that the way that they did, which they were handling it strictly from a risk management standpoint, which is, only inform until we at like only when we absolutely have to, right? That's what the process was. We're not going to tell Brandon Crawford what our plan is because what if that falls through? Then we'll have alienated the player. So we'll tell him because he'll understand. And we found out since then that Carlos Correa was talking to Brandon Crawford and all that stuff. So I think they were kind of counting on 
Correa is going to help smooth, help us smooth over this part as it works out, like hit the player directly. I don't think that's like a terrible approach, to be honest, because Doug, what's the other way? They start talking to him like this is what we're planning to do. And then the deal falls through. You know what I mean? Like it, it, they kind of wind up in the same position uh, in that case. The other part of it is who would be more willing to embarrass the franchise publicly ownership who cares a great deal about the public's perception or the front office who literally tries desperately, which is an emotion, I guess, but they try very hard to take all emotion out of all their decision-making at all times. And I think they're pretty clear about that. I don't, I think that's unambiguously their entire point. We've got coaches to handle players feelings, but our decisions are based on numbers and projections and that's it. And I think that's true. And I think this proves that. Because I think at the end of the day, them saying like, look, he's not, it's not going to last for 13 years. It's not going to handle eight years. So why are we going to pay him for that much? It's going to be a big risk. And I think there probably would have been, if Bobby Evans had found himself in this situation somehow, I think the Giants probably would have just gone through with the deal to avoid this entire brouhaha. And then who's to say if that's right or wrong? They would have had Carlos Correa for a couple of years. And by the way, Carlos Correa could wind up playing out his full contract for the Twins. We actually don't know. We don't know what was said, what the prognosis was. And we don't know if the prognosis said this is 100% what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like that gets into the Giants risk tolerance on a on a medical report, which we have no idea of knowing. Am I and rambling? Thing, Am I making sense? Yeah, I, I think the other thing also is that the Giants aren't necessarily right just because the Mets agreed with them. Um, one of the things in one of the athletic articles is that the Mets went to the same doctor that the Giants used who had already said no. So like he wasn't going to be like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's not good enough for the Giants for you, Steve Cohen. Yeah, give it a shot. Right. Um, so it really is just one guy's opinion and he's, I'm sure he's qualified. Uh, I'm sure he has legitimate medical reasons for making it, but we don't know for sure what will or what won't happen with Correa. Yeah. And again, we don't know what the doctor said. The doctor said like, there's a 30 to 45% chance. And the giants would be like, that's too much. If you had said 28%, we might've been, willing. you know what I mean? Like, we don't know. He could have said like a hundred percent, 80%. In, in five years, this guy's ankle is going to turn to, you know, toast crumbs, whatever. It's like, we don't know. Um, and we'll never know and whatever. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, we were definitely wrong about the reasons why the Giants didn't sign it. We probably could have ta- I probably could have taken a little more time to focus on. You know, we focus a lot on like crisis management from the Giants side, but I don't think we focus quite enough on from the Boris side. And I definitely operated from the presumption of, I knew Boris was lying, but I was also like, how much of it was he willing to lie about that could be disproven? You know what I mean? Like, so that was what I was like. He wouldn't lie about certain things because they could just be easily disproved. But then the fact that he let it go out there, oh, his family was there. They were house shopping, blah, blah, blah. And then the Giants kind of later come out and say like, that's what normally happens. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't a lie, but he was able to basically beat the drum and say like, look at what these shitheads did. And, uh, and let and it was tough. But I think in that case, even the giants mostly played that correct because that is kind of when you've got a blustery agent like Scott Boris, you do want him to kind of do his, um, his clown act and just kind of see how it goes. And um, did their response when they had an opening 
did it work? And did, did they did they handle it well when they finally handled it? I think those answers are still both no. But I think we also just have to accept after five years that the Giants are just not good at PR and they don't care about it. This is what we get for being too credulous of Scott Boris, uh, which is that we're extremely wrong about things. Like, he just went out there and... I, I really like the point of like, we didn't think he would just lie about things that would be easily disproven, but they were easily disproven a week later by the time people yep. were already mad at the Giants. Yep. So, I mean, that's, that's why he's like, you know, it's fine. They'll just, you know, they'll figure it out then. But for now, we're getting our positive PR. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> which is such a weird strategy to me because now everyone's like, because, you know, now I'm like, well, I can't necessarily trust what Scott, Scott Boris says. Not that I fully trusted it before, obviously, but sort of more grains of salt have been added to the Boris. I, I don't know where I'm going with this metaphor. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, The hourglass uh, is getting creaky. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the stew? The stew is too salty yeah. now? I don't know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's there was there were a lot of be, us being too credulous. It was also that was all of the reporting that was happening. So I mean, some of this is on uh, Susan Slusser, you know, and the other beat writers who just who who were like, yeah, I mean, Scott Boris said it, and we haven't heard anything from the team, so I guess that's what happened. I mean, the Giants found themselves in a tough spot, and it's I really feel like it's one of those one in a million things. Yeah, that, that all these circumstances broke this exact way. It was tough. You know what else was tough? (laughs) (laughs) What a segue. (laughs) Getting up to uh, pee one morning and checking my email notification and finding out that, once again, the McCovey Croncast canceled by Vox Media Inc. Vox is consolidating some of their uh, SB Nation content. They're going to shrink down some more of the company, and that's going to include podcasts on the SB Nation side of things that does affect McCovey Croncast. We have a deal through February. And so, yeah, that's where we're at once again. But because we're uh, done uh, through February, I mean, we're done after February. I'm going to still try to do an uh, an NOS preview, a preview of the team. And I do want to, I don't know, I, I feel like whatever happens with the Giants, there's a couple of extensions that are looming this year, Doug. I don't know if you realize Dave Fleming, his deal is up. We might actually hear an announcement, might actually come out this week, um, one way or the other. If he's not coming back, that'd be kind of surprising. But also for anxiety, I believe his deal is up this year. And um, and I don't know, I, I don't think they're going to get rid of him. I think you... I don't think uh, wise franchises commit to their executives for just little five-year spurts. When you're doing a rebuild, you kind of have to commit longer, at least rationally. That's what makes sense to me. And I don't think he's done anything that would deserve uh, a lack of faith or anything like that. I mean, maybe, but <laughs> but what I want to get at is like, so we'll do like an NOS preview. And then I, I kind of feel like we'll be able to kind of capture the Zyde era to kind of know what it's going to be like going forward. And I might say a piece on that. We, and I'll, we'll wrap that around a mailbag. So send us your questions, put them in the comments below Add us at McCroncast on Twitter. I don't know, Doug, do you have any feelings about, about being canceled again? Uh, well, I mean, obviously we were canceled to our, our controversial content, many hot <laughs> takes, not PC enough. Uh, <laughs> 
So like like all men who get canceled, we'll be back and better than ever in like a year. <laughs> uh, really, thank you all for listening. I mean, I love talking about the Giants. That's why I came back to do this. So there was a uh, opportunity to do it, and I just realized I'm really obsessed with the Giants, Doug. The Giants of San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I follow them quite a lot and really appreciate the thousands of people who have listened to us over the years. Um, it's been great. It's fun to, to talk and know people are listening, but hopefully, you know, we've entertained, we've educated and uh, we've helped balance out some things. I think at the end of the day, balance out some things. So the Giants aren't as good as you want them to be necessarily. Hopefully we've kind of painted a picture of like, you know, the Giants are trying in their own specific way. And through all this, I think I'm I'm I haven't landed on my feelings on the front office or the management or anything like that, Doug. But you know, I think at the end of the day, it's like it is. Do you like what the Giants or how they approach things, or do you not? Is a fair question that you can ask. And uh, I don't know. I I feel like we're I'm learning something new about them every day, and it's kind of helping me learn things about the world in general, because you can see a lot of their risk assessment and decision-making. You can see that duplicated in other walks of life, other industries, even in my profession, uh, my day job, that kind of thing. Um, So it's been interesting to learn from there. It'd be nice if that meant that the team was really entertaining. (laughs) Maybe that will happen again. (laughs) Anyway. Here's hoping. Yeah. So uh, any any good blogs cooking up for this week, Doug, that you want to tease or preview? Brian, I have no idea what I'm going to write about this week. <laughs> uh, I, I might, I might have to look into one of the Giants owners again. Uh, that's always fun. People don't read those, but that's that's okay. That's, I do those for me. I read them. I think they're great. Um, and turns out had nothing to do with what happened. Turns out had nothing to do with what the Carlos Correa situation. <laughs> no. So there's ownership. That. Just did not do that. So until next time, we'll come back uh, probably in a few weeks with uh, with an NOS preview, and then we'll probably do one more wrap-up after that. But until then, thanks for listening, and go Giants. Go Giants.